be turning in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Since it has been six months since we have partaken of the Lord's Supper, I thought it would be worthwhile tonight for us to spend time looking at the instruction concerning the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If I was to title the message, it would be the four looks of the Lord's Supper. That is not original with me, but I've not gotten the message from anybody else. It's just a title that has stuck with me about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll begin reading at verse 23 where the scripture says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Take your word deep into our hearts. May we understand this is a very special time in the life of believers. It's a special time in the life of the church to partake of one of the very clear ordinances to the church, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Tonight, we're going to be dealing in detail with it. And Father, I pray the Spirit of God would make the reality of what you put in the Scripture here very real to us, that we not take it lightly, and that we be careful to train our children not to take it lightly as well. It is a very special time. So, Lord, you have your way in our hearts. There's one here without Christ. Convict them of sin of righteousness and of judgments, turning their hearts to you. And Lord, we'll thank you for it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe the last time we partook of the Lord's Supper was in the first of March. So it's been six months ago that we did that. And to the best of my recollection, in my Christian life, I think that's the longest period I have gone without partaking of the Lord's Supper. I believe at my home church, and I'm just trying to remember with a 71-year-old brain that's failing, um, just trying to remember how often we took it there. I think it was once a quarter. And um, although I was at Tennessee Temple at Highland Park, I don't know, I don't remember them taking it when I was there, but I wasn't there very often because I pastored chapels of Highland Park, and we did it about once every month. And of course, when I, since I left school and been out in different churches, we've tried to do it about once a month. Thing is, the scripture does not tell us how often to do it. It just says as often as you do. And so you're not, not right with God simply because you only do it once a year or once every six months or once a quarter or once a week. There are some churches that do it every service and some churches that do it at least once every Sunday. Well, 
don't worry about that. We just need to be concerned about the clear instruction he gives us. It's always amazed me that the one passage in the New Testament epistles that talks about the Lord's Supper is talking about it not to a spiritual church, but to a carnal church. It's one that he calls carnal in chapter 3. He says, For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, according to verse 23, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes and he says, For I have received of the Lord. What we have here in this instruction is from the Lord. It is not from Paul. It is from the Lord. It's not a matter where you can say, well, you know, I just disagree with Paul. No, it's from the Lord. And that settles the matter. It is his church. He bought, he paid for it with his own blood at Calvary. He owns it. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he's given us instruction about this matter of the Lord's Supper. And our only responsibility is to do it like he says. And so that's what we seek to do, like he says. Now, I mentioned the four looks of the Lord's Supper. Let me give them to you tonight. First of all, there is the backward look, verses 23 through 26. For he says, I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, a couple of things I want to mention right off the bat here. Uh, First of all, you'll notice he said that the bread represents his body. Now, the Catholics believe in a doctrine that's called transubstantiation. And that is they believe that the bread is made the actual, literal body of Jesus Christ. Well, that can't be. In the passage that we're reading, Jesus is sitting right there in his body, right there at that time. Of course, to believe the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, you've got a problem then with what you don't use. And they have a problem with it. They have to bless the drain. They pour it down. And you wonder, at what point going through the drain does it stop being the body of Christ? Could you imagine throwing the body and blood of Christ into the sewer? There are a lot of major problems with the Catholic doctrine. It obviously is symbolic. It represents his body and represents his blood. You say, preacher, I thought we took scripture literally. We do. I like this term even better than literally. And that is we take it normally. For instance, when Jesus said, I am the door, that doesn't mean he's wood and hinges and a doorknob. He is the door. By any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. We obviously take it. If I said my wife blew her stack yesterday, it doesn't mean the top of her head came off. And smoke billowed around. I think you'd understand very clear what I was talking about. She was angry. Oh, not at me. She'd be angry at the dog or some driver, you know. She'd never lose her temper at me. So it's important we understand that right right away, that he is giving us uh, what the bread represents in the Lord's Supper. It's to remind us of what he went through with his body, his body being scourged, scourged for you. The crown of thorns that was was put upon his head, the, the nails that were put in his hands and feet, that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, you remember what they did to his body so that you could have forgiveness of sins. 
And when it comes to the cup, and by the way, with the, with the body, we use unleavened bread because leaven pictures sin. And his body was absolutely sinless and without blemish. And I think I, it's, it's a wonder, it's amazing that our King James translators were so specific that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, not one time is the word wine used. It is always the cup. Always the cup or the fruit of the vine. Never is it called wine. Now, I, I wouldn't have any trouble with that if that was used because we know that when our King James Bible was given to us in 1611, that the word wine most often meant simply that which comes from the grape. As a matter of fact, even in the 1748 Webster's Dictionary, that is the primary meaning of the word. 1748, 150 years later, its primary meaning was simply that which comes from the grape, which, by the way, is what the Greek word oinos means. It actually could be the juice, it could be the pulp, it could be the skin of the grape, it could be any of those things. How do you know which it is? By the context. That's how you know. So it's symbolic. It's important that we get that down. By the way, we don't drink alcohol. Alcohol is forbidden in the scripture. We sure would not picture the fermented grape juice, that which has decayed, is picturing the perfect blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard one man try to explain, well, that means that the juice still has leaven in it. It's not leaven. Leaven is something you put in the bread. It's not in the juice. All right. We drink something that represents the pure blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in looking backward, God often did that for his people. For instance, when Israel was given the Passover to celebrate, it represented God going through Egypt when they were still in captivity. And he destroyed the firstborn of every family in Egypt that did not have the blood on the doors. It's not a death angel. It's God himself who did that. And the Passover was a commemoration to Israel, a reminder of what God did to set them free. When they crossed over the dried up Jordan River and before the Jews got out of it to go into the promised land, you remember God had the priests take 12 stones and to set them up for a memorial on the bank so that when their children would go by later and see those stones, it would be a reminder to them of God providing that land for his people. God did a lot of things that are reminders. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Jesus went through on the cross of Calvary to pay for our sins. We re need to remember what Christ did for us, and the Lord's Supper is a time when you stop and think. Stop and think. Now, normally, when we serve the Lord's Supper the way that we normally do, while they are passing out the, the bread and passing out the juice, I normally have my Bible open to Matthew chapter 27, and I read about the crucifixion in Matthew chapter 27. Because it reminds me again as to what he was going through for me to have eternal life. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 26 here, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said, When I came among you, he decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He made much of the crucifixion 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to as well. And it ought to still be precious to us. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it ought to be a time when you are seriously meditating concerning this thought of all that Christ went through at Calvary. And you need to teach your children to do so too. To think about what he went through to purchase their salvation. You do show the Lord's death till he come. By the way, this is another thing about the, about the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation. If that be the case, then they have Jesus dying all over again. But he died once for all. As a matter of fact, turn over to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, notice beginning in verse 9. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9. By the way, it's another reason why we would be against Mass. Mass is Christ being crucified all over again. I want you to notice in verse 9, Then said he, that's Jesus, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, underline it, once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified." Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. For where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Another reason why we believe that that is that his the bread is just representative of his body and the juice is representative of his blood and how often as often as we do it it's for the same reason what about the inward look verses 27 through 29 notice he says wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the lord and notice the word unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now that's heavy. Think about it. This is not how Paul looks at it. This is how God looks at it. Now I know some people say, come on preacher, it's not that big of a deal. Well, why don't you tell that to Ananias and Sapphira? It wasn't that big of a deal. They were giving an offering. It was an offering they didn't need to give, didn't have to give. The problem was they lied about it. And it was such a big deal to God that they lied about their offering that God killed them both. It may not have been a big deal to Ananias and Sapphira. But it was a big deal to God. You see, it matters not how you look at it. What matters is how God looks at it. So he says again, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now we're talking about the inward look. We are to look within. He says, but let a man examine himself. Search out your heart to make sure everything is right. 
You're not only to look back to what Christ did on the cross, but you are to look within because he saved you from sin, not to stay in sin. And where you've got sin in your life, before you partake of the Lord's Supper, you should get it right. Now, I know over the years, and I'm sure that any preacher, Brother Lamb, Brother Weeks, Brother Nelson, any preacher has seen the same thing, people not partake of the Lord's Supper because they got something in their life that's not right. That's not what he says. He says, wherefore, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat. There is absolutely no idea of a person examining himself and find something not right and not getting it right. If you find something in there that's not right, you're expected to get it right. What kind of a rebel would have God show them something wrong in their life and they claim to love the Lord Jesus, to know Christ as Savior, and God shows them they got something wrong in their life and they say, I'm keeping it, God. I don't care what you think about it. I just won't eat of your old... Oh, Lord's Supper. What kind of rebel does that? You make it sound pretty bad, preacher. It is bad. There's absolutely no mention here of a person not eating. Mention is getting right and then eating. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning... The Lord's body. Now, this is important. If you want to have fellowship with him, you've got to be right. In 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, he says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. From all sin, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a serious matter. This is getting honest with God since he died for our sins. And it's not for us to live in sin. This inward look is necessary in order to partake of the Lord's Supper rightly. In verse 27, he uses the term guilty. He says they're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That word guilty, the Greek word has the idea of liable to the penal effect of a deed. In other words, one who eats and drinks unworthily of the bread and partakes of the cup unworthily is committing an act which involves itself in the guilt of the death of Christ. All unconfessed sin should be confessed and forsaken. That's why, that's the reason why I've never had communion first. I don't do that. We have the preaching of the word. We have an invitation after that, an opportunity for God to move upon hearts and for people to get things right with God so they can partake with things taken care of. It's the way it's supposed to be. The inward look. Then there's the forward look in verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The judgment that comes upon those who partake of the Lord's supper unworthily. The terminology here is very interesting. He says many are weak and sickly. He says many sleep. 
Now, there's no place where the Bible tells us how large the church at Corinth was. I don't know if there were a few thousand by this time. Maybe, perhaps. I mean, it was a city of 800,000 people. They were the only church in town. This was it. So maybe they were running a few thousand. Maybe they were just running a couple hundred. And I don't know how many, many is. Not Madison Baptist Church. I would say if suddenly we found out that we had 10 people that were COVID-19 positive, that'd be many to me. But now you take a church of 10,000 people, that number wouldn't be so many. But it was enough that he doesn't say a couple. He says many. So you can take God at his word. It was many that the reason they were weak and sickly was because... He doesn't say all that are weak and sickly. Because I got news for you in life, you're going to get weak and sickly from time to time. And everybody's going to die once. That's promised. You can go through your life and always be right when you partake of the Lord's Supper, but you're still going to die. It's just that that won't be the reason that you die. But there were many that had died. Now, the word sleep, the Greek word that's translated sleep, is used 18 times in your New Testament. Four times, it's talking about physical sleep. I mean, actually sleeping. 14 times... It is speaking of the death of the body, and always, without exception, it refers to the death of a believer, not the death of the sinner. According to 1 Corinthians 5.16, there is a sin unto death. The sin unto death is a sin that is committed by believers, not unbelievers. The unpardonable sin is a sin that is committed by unbelievers, never a believer. For you see, the unpardonable sin, according to the book of Mark, it'll not be forgiven ever on earth or in heaven, so it is a sin only committed by unbelievers. That's the difference between the two. Do you remember there was a man at Corinth, deals with it, by the way, in chapter 5, and we'll be getting to it in a couple Wednesday nights from now, a man that was taken in adultery with his father's wife. And the church was puffed up, and he said, you ought to be mourning. They were thinking they were so broad-minded. God is such a God of love that we can have this man in good fellowship in our church with all the sin that he's committed. And Paul says, next time you're together in my spirit with you, he tells them, turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. If that man hadn't gotten right, He'd have died. Because the church was to turn him over for that very purpose. You see, this is not a blanket statement that all the weak and sickly or those that have died, died for this reason. But the Holy Spirit of God is letting Paul know. Now, we don't know if Paul had any particular person in mind or any particular people in mind. But the Holy Spirit knows, and the Holy Spirit said many. So you can count on it. It was a bunch. I think many and a bunch mean about the same thing. Verse 31. He says, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. God wants you right. See, we're not only looking back at what Jesus did for us at Calvary, but we're looking within because he wants us right. 
When we partake of the Lord's Supper, what is the Lord getting out of this? He wants you right. He wants you where the channel's clear because God has shown you what's wrong and you've confessed it and gotten it right with him. That's what he wants. You know, Christians could avoid an awful lot of trouble if they just keep short accounts with God. Just get right with him. As a matter of fact, over in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, he says, beginning in verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, and are ye bastards and not sons? Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, but uh, nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Why? That believers not be condemned with the world. God knows how to separate believers from unbelievers. He tells us in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 that God did that with Lot. You read the account of Lot's life, and there's absolutely nothing in Lot's life to let us know he was a saved man. Had God not told us that Lot was a just man in 1 Peter chapter 2, none of us would have had any idea that he was. When you look at him living in Sodom and Gomorrah and willing to turn over his own daughters to those wicked men that were at his door, and then when you see that when he did get out of the city, he got drunk, and then the terrible sin he committed with his daughters, all of that, there's nothing that would make us think that he's a saved man, but God says he was. And he makes the point that God was able to deliver the ungodly, that we not be condemned with the rest of the world. This is a way of God getting us clean, the Lord's Supper. That's one of the reasons why I don't want to just do it once a year. I want to do it a good number of times, keeping short accounts with God. And then there's the upward look. You say, what's that, preacher? Well, look at verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. You might underline it, till he come. We don't only look back at what he did for us at the cross, but we are reminded he's coming back. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to keep doing this till he comes back. Maybe, perhaps, part of the reasons why some churches hardly ever have the Lord's Supper is because they really don't want to be pressured into getting right. After all, no one's going to see me not partake of it if we don't partake of it at all. So that, re that releases me from the embarrassment. I got news for you. That kind of thinking for a rebel will make you awful embarrassed at the judgment seat of Christ before a far bigger crowd than those in your church. Jesus will be there on the throne. And that will not be a pleasant time. John, at the end of the book of Revelation, cried out, even so, come, Lord Jesus.
I'm glad we have this special time of remembrance. This, by the way, is not a sacrament. It does not impart any holiness to the partaker at all. It is an ordinance, something that has been commanded. Jesus set it up for us, for this special time in our life. Because guess what? He wants his church right with him. We ain't talking about loving Jesus and all this. While we sit around in our worldliness and thank God we haven't been hit by a 10-ton truck yet or an 18-wheeler or haven't had our, our limbs smashed and broken in some kind of car wreck someplace. But dear friend, you really love Jesus. You'll want to be right with him. Thank God for what he did. And in light of all that he did, surely I ought to want to be right with him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, deal with our hearts as we think about this matter of the Lord's Supper tonight. We are going to be partaking. Father, may we allow the Spirit of God to search out our hearts and show us whether it be sins of commission or omission, whether it be attitudes, unforgiveness, bitterness, lack of mercy, Whatever it may be, may our desire be to be right with our God. Lord, as we have our invitation tonight, may we be quick to get right where you deal with our lives, please. God forbid that pride would stand in the way from coming forward. For you resist the proud, but give a grace unto the humble. So Lord, let's treat, help us to treat this Lord's Supper like you meant for it to be treated by your church. And we'll thank you as you deal with our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name.